to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If we think deeply about God, we're going to have high thoughts of God, and that's going to translate into the way we live. But if we fail to go deep, then inevitably we will be shallow as Christians, and that should not be the case. So these two verses, verses 8 and 11 of the fourth chapter, they give us a closer look at God and tell us five things about Him that we need to think about. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 and 11, in a message titled, The One Who Was and Is to Come. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So John is writing, and... He says, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So I've said this before, but each time I read through Revelation, the, the thing that stands out to me more and more is how this book is a book that is really more than anything else. It's about God. It's, of course, a book of prophecy. And it even refers to itself as a book of prophecy. And we know that it is filled with prophecy. And we're certainly considering it from that perspective. But I don't want us to lose sight. And I want us to really, you know, focus on the the fact that it is about God. The primary emphasis, of course, is on God the Son 
It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's son. But God the Father features prominently in the book as well. And that's going to be our focus today. When he is mentioned, the emphasis is on his power as creator and on the fact that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe. Every time there's references to God, that seems to be the, the, the main points that are emphasized. And we see that in the verses that we read. Now, I don't think that we as modern Christians give enough attention to the study of God. And as a result, I think we are spiritually impoverished because of our, our lack of attention. You know, we, we live in a, a kind of a pragmatic culture, which means that a lot of times we're really into doing. We're not so much into thinking. As long as it works, it doesn't really matter how it works or why it works. Just the fact that it does work, that's the important thing. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of our culture. And I think that our culture has, to some effect, or in some sense, impacted our, our way of viewing our relationship with the Lord. So we just, we're glad that it works and we're happy to, to you know, do, do those things that you do as a Christian. But sometimes we don't, we don't stop and think about important things like how it works or, or why it works or, or looking at those deeper things concerning God. And so it's needful for us in the, in the midst of all of the, the craziness that, that we live in, in the, the modern age and all of the distractions that we are surrounded with. It's important for us to think more deeply about God. In his classic book on the subject of God, the attributes of God, the book entitled The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So high or low thoughts of God. If we, if we think deeply about God, we're going to have high thoughts of God, and that's going to translate into the way we live. But if we fail to go deep, then inevitably we will be shallow as Christians, and that should not be the case. So these two verses, verses 8 and 11 of the fourth chapter, they give us a closer look at God and tell us five things about him that we need to think about. And these are the five things. They tell us that God is holy. They tell us that he is almighty. He's, he has all power. They tell us that he is eternal, that he is self-existent. And finally, they remind us that he is the creator of everything. So those are the things that we want to consider together. Beginning with holy. 
We speak of God as holy. We sing about God as holy. We opened up our service today with that great hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, taken, of course, from the passage right here. Now, when we talk about the holiness of God, the, the question is this, what are, we, what are we really referring to? Now, the word holy, as perhaps you've heard, the word holy means separate. And some people emphasize with that, the, they, they refer to it as the otherness of God. God is other than everything else. He's, he's different. He's distinct from everything else. And that is certainly something that is being communicated in this, this term holy or holiness. But the idea of the holiness of God has sort of two aspects to it. First of all, it denotes that he is absolutely distinct from all his creatures and is exalted above them in infinite majesty. So that's, that's kind of the first aspect of, of what it means when we think of God as holy. This includes the ideas of absolute unapproachability and awful majesty. So when, when we're talking about God as being holy, what, what it's saying to us first and foremost is, is that God is so different. He's so separated that he's unapproachable. Paul stated that very thing in writing to Timothy. He spoke of, of the Lord as dwelling in the light that no man can approach. And so he is absolute unapproachability and awful majesty. Now, when I say awful, we need to understand what the word awful actually originally meant. It's funny how words change their meaning over time, because when we say awful today, that's not a good thing, right? You say something was awful, you're saying it was bad. But awful originally meant full of awe or awe-inspiring. Uh, so we've, we've sort of replaced the word awful with awesome, but the problem with awesome is we've taken the awesomeness out of it because everything is awesome today, right? And you see, the reality is the, the word awesome, it, it truly can only be applied to a few things. But when you take and you make everything awesome, then you've just sort of taken away the actual meaning of awesome. When I tell you that the burger I had for lunch yesterday was awesome, I am doing a disservice to the word awesome. So God is awe-inspiring. He's awful in the sense that he, he is full of awe. Or he, he inspires us to be full of awe. So that's, that's, that's the idea and as one theologian said, the holiness of God, it awakens in man a sense of absolute nothingness. See, when we encounter the holiness of God, this is, this is our response. And it's not even a, 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 a thought-out response. It's just an automatic response. This is just what happens. When, when uh, a creature encounters the holiness of God. There's a sense of absolute nothingness. There, there is a creature consciousness in the sense that I suddenly realize that I am just a, a, a creature. Now, 
don't get confused by the word creature because, again, it's, it's a word that's sort of changed its meaning over time. You know, honestly, when I, every time I read the word creature, I can't think of, I can't help but thinking of the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> that, that, that was my first impression of creature as a kid. So we, we read about the four living creatures, and you think, man, these creatures, they were creepy. No, creature just means a created thing, a created being. So when we talk about our encounter with the, the holiness of God, it brings to us our, our creature consciousness. It, it leads us to an absolute self-abasement. In other words, we're just automatically in the in the presence of God's holiness, man is automatically humbled. It's, it's automatic, it's instantaneous. It is the response that comes just as a result of being in God's presence. It's not like we get into God's presence and we go, wow, God is holy, I better humble myself. No, you, there's no thought process involved. You are automatically on your face. That's just where you go. And we see that, I'll point that out in just a minute. So that's the first part of holy but the second, and the, and the one that we more commonly think about, which is absolutely correct as well, is God's holiness points to God's majestic purity, his moral excellence or ethical perfection. So when we're talking about God being holy, we're talking about him being absolutely pure, absolutely righteous, no trace of anything evil or sinful or impure in him at all. John, who wrote this revelation out, who penned it, he spoke of this in his first letter. First John chapter 1, verse 5, this is what he said about God. He said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's John describing the, the holiness of God in, in the moral sense. So when we think of God, we need to think of him, first of all, as holy. That's what it says here. This is what the, the, the living creatures are proclaiming. You know, they're, they're not proclaiming, really, they're, they're not proclaiming God as love. They're not proclaiming God as just. They're not proclaiming a, a number of things that God is that they could have been proclaiming, but they proclaimed holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And this is the one attribute that is most frequently used in reference to God, especially in the Old Testament. And so again, it's that picture of absolute purity and absolute separation from all other things. So holiness puts God in a category all by himself. Now, man's response to the immediate presence of God is seen in numerous examples in scripture gives us illustrations of what we're talking about here. When you go through the Bible, you find that there's a number of places where we see men encountering God and responding. And that illustrates what we're talking about. So take, for example, Job. The story of Job, perhaps you're not aware of it, but Job is a man who suffers greatly. He's perplexed. He's lost his wealth, he's lost his family, he's lost his health, all of these things are going on. Friends come along, they try to understand why he's going through these kinds of things. They come up with all the wrong answers. And fi finally, God comes, and he appears before Job. And Job's response to God illustrates what we're talking about. 
when, when Job finally sees God, he's got all kinds of questions before he has this encounter with God, but now he sees God, and this is what he says. He says, I heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, like, like we said a few minutes ago, he's, he's utterly abased before God. That's what happens. We see with Daniel, another example of this. Daniel is the Old Testament version of John. The book of Daniel is the Old Testament equivalent of the book of Revelation. And just like John, Daniel sees these, uh, he's given these amazing things and he has these experiences where he's right there in the presence of God. And Daniel writes about those experiences and he says this, he says, and then I fell down as dead before him. You see, that's, that's the response. But Isaiah probably gives us the, the clearest understanding of what happens here. Isaiah sees almost exactly the same thing that John describes right here. Isaiah chapter 6, we read that Isaiah says this. He says, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. He was there upon his throne and, and around the throne were the, were the four living creatures, the seraphim, and they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah says this, his response to that was, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. So you see, the, the human response to God's holiness is always the immediate recognition of our own unholiness of our own separateness from God. That's, that's what happens. So when we think about God, and when we're ever tempted to entertain thoughts about God, like, well, you know, you hear people today, uh, you know, with the atheism in the culture, you hear people saying things that really are blasphemous in, regarding to, in regard to God. You know, they accuse God of being responsible for all of the horrific things that happen, say, through war and, you know, the raping of children and all of this kind of stuff. You hear people put these kinds of accusations over against God, if there is a God. And yet, the reality is there could be nothing further from the truth about who God is. There's not any place in God where anything like that would even have any sort of a presence whatsoever. So when we think about God, we have to think of him in the terms of who he is, in the terms of his greatness, and it starts with holiness. But it doesn't stop with holiness. Then as we read on, we read that he is the almighty God, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. And almighty is pretty self-descriptive. It means that he has all might, or it means that he has all power. The Bible tells us in numerous places that power belongs to the Lord. A psalm gives us that exact wording. Power belongs to the Lord. God's power is unlimited power. He has all power. All other power is delegated power. Now, there are other powers. The Bible makes reference to other powers. even refers to evil powers. Uses the term to describe the, the demonic host as principalities and powers. 
But you see, their power is delegated power. It's a power that God has allowed them to exercise. But at some point, he will take all of that power from them because all power belongs to him. I think of the words of Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Maybe you remember the story there in the Gospel of John where we're, we read there about Jesus standing before Pilate. He's being tried. And Pilate is asking Jesus questions and Jesus is not answering. He's not responding. And Pilate says to Jesus at a certain point, he says, are you not speaking to me? Don't you know that I have power to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power whatsoever over me were it not delegated to you from above. See, Jesus put it in perspective. Here's Pilate, the governor of the Roman province of Syria. Here's Pilate speaking as the mouthpiece of Caesar saying, hey, don't you know I have power? And Jesus says, you would have no power because all power belongs to God. And listen, nothing can overpower God. Nothing can overpower God. Now, this is what men and devils have been trying to do from the very beginning of time. And, and this attempt to overpower God, it's going to culminate in this book of Revelation. And we're going to see it. it it's going to work itself out in history, obviously, but we're seeing history in advance, and this is what it all comes down to. Men and devils are seeking to dethrone God. They're seeking to overpower him, but it is impossible. It cannot be done, and of course, as we read through the book, we're going to see that is exactly the case. Men's efforts have failed thus far, and they will continue to fail, even though all of the demons and all of humanity rises up against God, they will not dethrone him. As a matter of fact, as the second Psalm says, he that sits in heaven will laugh at such a gathering. So God has all power. Nothing can overpower him. Join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Have I got a book for you? The book is entitled, The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. And this book is written by a good friend of mine named Nick Cady. And in the book, Nick deals with topics like a God who hasn't proven his existence a God who creates hateful, hypocritical followers, a God who says some love is wrong. And Nick really tackles these from just, a, I think, a brilliant point of view, of course, going back to Scripture and showing that there are good biblical answers to all of these objections. So I want to recommend and I highly recommend Nick Cady's book, The God I Won't Believe In. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady. You can order the book The God I Won't Believe In by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. 
When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady, to help you wrestle with the common cultural barriers to embracing Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th, and this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian, you and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.